Ready? You ready? Yes. This week on Safety Stop. Our guest this week is Dune Ives, the Executive Director of Lonely Whale Foundation. Listen, Linda. Listen, listen, Linda. Number one rule of scuba. <laughs> Welcome to La La Land. You scuba? We scuba. Mermaid hair, don't care. That's interesting. Oh. Yeah, I some sharks, like, no big deal. <laughs> I also have a lot of hot air. <laughs> You're Warning! This show is unscripted, so be ready to laugh your ass off. <laughs> Our guest this week is Dune Ives, the Executive Director of Lonely Whale Foundation. Hi, Dune. Hi, Dune. Hi, Dune. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be on. Thank you. Thank you so much. So for our listeners, Lonely Whale is a foundation that was formally established in late 2015 um, after a huge wave of public support for a Kickstarter fund. And donations for that fund backed a documentary called 52, The Search for the Loneliest Whale, which follows a research team that was attempting to locate an elusive whale whose song calls at a frequency of 52 hertz. Which is so sad. <laughs> I saw the trailer for it. Oh, that's, I mean, it's sad. I, it was all right. So, <laughs> what, what makes this whale unique is that most whales call at a much higher frequency. So this whale has been characterized as lonely because it is the only known whale to sing at 52 hertz. And so as a result, many have posed the sad theory that it can't be understood by other species of whales. Um, and so after the documentary was backed, the Lonely Whale Foundation was established as an incubator for ideas that support a mission of education and awareness as it relates to the health of our oceans. Um, and so we're so excited to have Dune here, who's the executive director, as Sarah said. Um, and Dune, will you tell us a little bit about how Lonely Whale grew from such a specific focus on one whale to a much larger mission that is kind of uh, spanning nonprofits and organizations around the world. It's a it's a really amazing story, isn't it, about this whale? And I hadn't heard of it until a friend of mine, Susan Rockefeller, introduced me to Adrian Grenier, who's one of our co-founders. Lucy Sumner is the other co-founder. I I had formerly been working with Mr. Paul Allen, who recently passed away and developed his global environmental philanthropic portfolio and then managed that for, for just a little over two years. And while I was there, he continued to ask us this question on the exec team, which was, how do we get people to care for the ocean? Because he knew that until we actually care for it, and I think divers are unique, right? Because you can't care for something unless you experience it. And I think being on a boat or swimming in the water or even snorkeling, you don't fully experience it until you've been drift diving and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, where am I? <laughs> or you've got that, that experience where you turn around and you see the great black abyss and you're like, holy mackerel, how do I, you know, until you actually experience it and you feel it and you feel it deeply and you're so moved by it, it's really difficult to truly care for something. And so when I left, when I left working with Paul and met Lucy and Adrian and heard the story of this well, I was like, this is it. Here, finally, we have this character. Here we have this story that moved thousands of people after that Kickstarter campaign to share their own stories of loneliness and isolation. So there was a connection point that was really powerful. And so Lucy and Adrian said, well, let's, let's create a space 
for these individuals. Maybe there are more people out there who will be moved by the story of 52. They were asking themselves, how do I get engaged? How do how can I be involved? And really what they were asking, what one was for connection and community, but the second was really tangible solutions to help ensure that this whale could not only survive while he's seeking companionship, but could really thrive. And so that's that's the genesis of Lonely Well. And we, you know, when we when we joined forces, and I joined probably about four months after the organization was founded, we looked at all of these ocean health threats out there to see how do we align this voice of the lonely well with an ocean health threat. And and in doing so, then really connect people in a deep, meaningful way every single day to things that they can do to help ensure that the ocean is healthy, not just for today and for this one whale, but for all of us. Hmm. I'm so I know I just think, oh. <laughs> sure had tears in her eyes when we were watching the trailer earlier. Yeah, yeah, well, like one of the things the gentleman said on the trailer is like, as a species, we want to we want to be and we are and we are social. And it really just made me think about how many people just want to be heard and seen. And we don't see them and we don't hear them. And and I thought it just it just brought up so much on how we're so blinded throughout our life and not seeing each other and how this representation of the whale is showing us what we don't do in our own lives. I mean, I think you're exactly right. How many of us live next to a neighbor that we've never met before? Or you walk past the same person on the street day in and day out and and they're clearly they're suffering. And either because you don't know what to do or because it starts to feel normal, then you just keep walking past. And I, and I think you're right. I think we've all had that experience of calling out and never once hearing a response back. Or you say something, and I, oftentimes I'll use the analogy of, you know, I have children. I have a four-and-a-half-year-old, and I have a 27-year-old. I've got both. I'm really fortunate. And in raising both of these children, I have had the experience of saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. Finally, just say, like, can you hear me? <laughs> can you? Can anyone in this house hear me right now? <laughs> just even as a mom. <laughs> and so we have. And I think that's why it's so relatable. And and then I think when people connect to the story of the whale and you hear that this whale has been swimming in the Pacific Ocean for, let's say, three to four decades by himself, which is, one, really sad because these are sentient creatures just like we are. They feel, they think, they communicate. They need companionship just like we do. And we all are seeking the same thing. So the wants and needs of marine animals are no different than the wants and needs of humans. We are connected together. But when you think about everything that's been happening to this particular whale and all marine species over those four decades, it's pretty heartbreaking. And and so as an organization, we try to move quickly from the heartbreak into the action and into the connection with each other so that there's, there's a sense of not helplessness, but of hope. And not of devastation, but of possibilities, because we're we're really at this tipping point right now with ocean health, and we have to be thinking optimistically. We have to be looking at at what's possible, and if the character of the lonely well inspires you, wonderful. Then let's lean in with that, and let's see how we can all really connect to each other around this issue of keeping our health, our ocean healthy. So. I always find it so amazing that like with diving that there's not 
the ocean's so big and there's not a lot of people who go and actually explore it and get the opportunity to so it's great that like people like lonely whales and people even like us that are like publicizing this and showing that these animals are out there and that they need their voices heard and what you'll find with the lonely whale team which is so interesting is that we're all divers and and we collect divers. <laughs> like we'll we'll be at an event. We really do. I mean, I think there is something there is something to be said for having that experience of being under the water. And I, and wouldn't it be remarkable if we all could? You know, diving is an expensive sport. Like there's a reason why I don't do it as often as I want to. It's really expensive, and and I wish I could do it more. You have to get somewhere. You've got to get the gear. You've got to get on the boat. You, you know, you have to do it enough that you don't have to keep taking the, the, the course over again to teach you how to swoop your arm back and get the breathing apparatus again, <laughs> which I, I love that class. I've done it a lot. And, and yeah, you know, so few of us really have that experience. And, and so for those of us who are fortunate enough too have had the experience of diving. And I remember, oh my gosh, my first, that, that, you know, that moment when you go diving and that moment that you realize that the ocean has just grabbed a hold of your soul. It's that, it's that one creature that you see or that one experience, you finally find the seahorse, right? Or you find there's something you've been looking for and you finally experience it. So mine was diving off the coast of Belize and uh, this gigantic, spotted eagle ray came out of the depths just out of nowhere and just literally like flying through the ocean as it does so gracefully and it was at that moment that I was hooked forever and so every time I think about the work that we do at Lonely Whale I think about that creature as well I think about the whale I think about all marine species but just the majesty and the beauty and the grace with which it carries itself and and to know that there are so few pelagics left and so everything we do every single day is about protecting it's about protecting diversity uh, and abundance of species because we need we need them to have a healthy ocean and we also need them to have a little bit of magic in our life. You know there's there's just so much that we don't know about the ocean and and whales like many creatures hold that history. They hold the memory of the ocean. And, and we can't lose that memory. You know, it's so important for us to learn from them. So it's that first moment, right? That magical moment under the water where you see that creature that just pulls at your heartstrings. And so part of our job at Lonely Well is to be storytellers on their behalf and to work as hard as we possibly can to inspire people to get involved. What I love about um, what you're talking about is what you said, if you don't know, then you don't care. And that's been a theme that we've seen and heard from guest after guest after guest on this podcast who are trying to um, educate and make people aware of not only the majesty but the threats um, to these animals and the environments. Um, are you able to tell us about how you guys kind of craft deciding um, the projects that you back and develop with Lonely Whale? I'd be happy to. We, You know, our first year together, we spent about six months really just canvassing the landscape of ocean health organizations 
to figure out what was the threat we were going to focus on. And, and what we decided to do was focus on plastic because we knew that of all the ocean health threats out there, and there's so there's way too many, right? There's, there's a long, long, long list. But plastic pollution is the one thing that connects all of us every single day. So if, if what our, our job is to do is to create a connection between individuals and the ocean in a way that moves them to take action not just once but multiple times, then let's focus on something we can relate to. So seismic lasting, super important to stop. Can't believe Trump opened that again. Sorry, listeners, for those who are divers who are fans of that. But it's the wrong policy at exactly the wrong time. There's slavery on the high seas. Like there's, you know, there's a lot. Um, but plastic connects us because you can't actually go through your daily existence without coming into contact with plastic. But plastic is big. It, like the issue is huge. Eight to twelve million metric tons of new plastic going into the ocean every single year, including this year. This year in 2018, it's not stopping. It's just increasing. And and I think oftentimes as organizations, we can tend to be very science focused which is important, but but people don't necessarily resonate with science, we can also be very kind of doom and gloom. And that doesn't really motivate me or, you know, my family. So we tried to really think through what's something easy that people can do. And then how do we craft a story around the thing that's easy to do? And then how do we build momentum? So we chose the straw because it is the one thing that – we don't we don't need unless you have a, a you know very real and these are very real physical issues that some people have and they require a draw, a straw to drink but most of us don't need one and the easy solution is to say no right so there we go check the box right we've got our simple solution and then can we do something funny with it was was kind of the next check that we had to get through and and when we landed on the hashtag stop sucking we knew we had it because what, 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 you know, what came up for us is like, who hasn't wanted to tell somebody to stop sucking, regardless of what it's for? Like, it's at some point in your life, right? it's a long list. And so we knew we had something like kind of edgy and fun and clever. And we hired this agency, right? We hired an, an agency that, that some of the best firms around the world hire to to design campaigns that then tell us that we have to buy the thing that they're selling. And, and together we created, you know, a pretty magnificent series of campaign elements. Um, so that's how we kind of, that's how we got to plastic and that's how we got to the straw. Now, as we look at what's next for us, we're actually, we're actually, we've, we've selected, and I can't tell you what it is right now, but you'll just have to wait to see what comes out. But we've selected something that's much harder um, and we're going to design a new campaign around that. And the reason for it is we we feel like the conversation has changed so much around plastic. People don't want to talk – some people want to talk about the straw still. But a lot of people have already moved on to the, okay, I get the straw, but what about this thing and that thing? And why is that cucumber wrapped in plastic? And, oh, my gosh, are these – is this chip bag plastic? And what about that? Is that – that's plastic too. And so I think there's just such a – a level of maturity and depth of understanding that we feel pretty comfortable we can go into something that's that's much more difficult to solve for and and to be entirely honest much much more important for us to solve for as well so i just want to kind of just still touch on the straw thing just a little bit dune that so i work i work in events and that that's that's my day job <laughs> and um, it's interesting because we actually had a group 
that actually purposely put straws in all their drinks to basically say, F the government, you can't tell me what to do. Um, so I'm kind of curious on how do you deal with sort of a, a backlash of individuals saying like, you can't tell me, even though it's like, listen, this is, this is what's happening to, to poor animals in the sea because of plastic straws. Like, how do you communicate that with individuals who are like adamant of being about like, don't tell me how to live my life? You know, change is hard. Change is hard. It doesn't matter what it is. Change is hard. And and it's, you know, I um and especially when it's a policy decision that comes down that requires you to change. I think that's particularly difficult. Um, you know, Lonely Well, we're firm believers the market will lead the way. We're not a policy shop. Policy follows what the market wants. And and eventually things you know, the tide turns and people start to get used to a new normal. And and that's really what these campaigns are all about is to say, oh, wow, it's amazing that I get a straw in every glass of water that I'm served. There's something wrong about that. Why have I forgotten how to use my lips? And I'm, and am I really that creeped out by a glass that somebody else probably drank out of, but I'll drink coffee out of a mug? I'm not so worried about that. And guys, super sorry, but you really don't look sexy sucking a cocktail out of <laughs> two little tiny plastic straws. It just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, so eventually kind of things shift around. But I remember I remember um growing up in Fairbanks, Alaska. I know it's like like there's a whole campaign in there. <laughs> Real men look sexy when they don't drink cocktails with straws. I, I there's it's gotta be something catchier than that. That's a long hashtag. <laughs> But I remember growing up in Fairbanks, Alaska, so I'm 47, full disclosure, and I grew up um, during an era where many of our cars didn't have seatbelts, and then the seatbelt law went into effect, and I remember when my relatives was like, I am not putting that seatbelt on. The government cannot tell me what I'm going to do in my car or not. Today, they wear their seatbelt all the time. You know, so I, I, I think for me, I kind of hold on to that too, to be like, eh, times change. And, and it's okay to be angry and it's okay to hold on, but you're going to get a lot of wrinkles around your lips. I'm not sure that's what you really want by drinking out of a straw, you know? Well, it's funny because two things. One, you do not look like you should have a 27-year-old. So <laughs> FYI. And, <laughs> and second of all, like, it's almost that like kid rebelling of being like, you can't tell me to brush my teeth. And then you're like, children throwing tantrums. Yeah, it's bit. basically what it is. It's like, ah, it's what. And, and then eventually they calm themselves down. Yeah, and, and they're like, that's oh, what we can hopefully look. Like yeah, it's too. like it's not that bad. It's okay. My favorite, my favorite retort against the straw policy was a woman holding an AK-47 in one hand oh, and a glass with a straw in the other hand, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> we really struck a chord. <laughs> <laughs> If you care that much, I will give you all my old. I'll get. I'll send you all. People always are asking, like, where do? What do we do with the straws that we aren't going to use anymore? Well, we can send them to that lady. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's just a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I think that's you know. It, but, but the important thing is that um, I remember the one of the most interesting interviews I've ever given is I was on the Tucker Carlson show. And and I purposefully was on his show because I was like, this is fascinating. We have like all these global political, geopolitical issues that we're dealing with. And Tucker Carlson wants to talk to me about straws. Let's talk about straws. Then let's do that. 
And the amount of positive feedback that I got from an audience that I would have never reached was really overwhelming. And so I think, you, you know, it's important to just remember too that part of this is about impact with a campaign like this, but part of it too is let's just get the conversation started and see where we end. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All everyone's here digesting what you're saying. Two of us are using plastic or um, reusable straws. Over plastic straws. I knew it. Reusable, 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 reusable. We got, we got. They're all like, you guys are all looking at each other right now, going, um, who brought the straws? No, no, no. We got a reuse. We got a metal straw and we got a plastic tumbler, like hard plastic, reusable forever straw. Nice. Like, one I of, like one it. Reusable. 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 Moving forward and the impact um, that we're having for future generations, uh, you guys at Lonely Will are very dedicated to youth education. Um, can you tell us about some of the youth initiative programs that you guys have developed and outreach for, uh, for a, perhaps a younger audience? We, when we started Lonely Well, um, we started building an education program right away with the Academy of Global Citizenship, which is a charter school based in the south side of Chicago. And we were asked to to bring the story of the whale. Their, their mascot is a whale, which is amazing. And yeah, these incredible kids. It's a K-8 school. And so we started developing a K-5 bilingual education that was really focused on on the, the wants and needs of marine animals and how they're no different than our wants and needs. So we just wrapped up development and we're taking a look at the curriculum and looking to expand it and to apply it elsewhere, which is really exciting. Um, and then in addition to that, we have our Ocean Heroes Boot Camp. So what happened during the straw campaign when we when we uh, when we let loose the global PSA for stop sucking and then we also did the Strawless in Seattle takeover. We had kids from all over the world, all ages, calling us, emailing us, asking, how, how do I get involved? I love this campaign. What can I do? And at the time, we had been working with another organization, Captain Planet Foundation, and they too also are connected to all these kids who wanted to get engaged with straws. Well, we found that we were answering so many emails that I looked at I looked at my um, fellow ED over at Captain Planet, Lisa Carter, and said, "Don't you think we should just like get them all in a room together, and and let's see what happens when we pull these kids together from different walks of life and different geographic areas? Let's teach them about plastic pollution. They're going to teach us about plastic pollution as well. Give them the tools that they need to create their own campaigns, and then support them, and then let them loose." And, and it's been remarkable to see what's happened to the first almost 300 kids that we trained, both in New Orleans as well as seven sites globally. And now we're getting ready to do our next Ocean Heroes Boot Camp. The application just became available, um, and we expect it to fill up really fast. So we're encouraging everybody to get their applications in right away. But it's ages 11 through 18 in Vancouver, BC, June 28th through 30th, and it's free. All you have to do is get yourself there. But the entire boot camp is free to everybody. Um, and then there's the opportunity to receive 
grant funding for campaigns post boot camp so that funding isn't an issue for kids tackling plastic pollution on this planet. That's That's super cool. Where on the website can you (laughs) find that? Go to oceanheroes.blue. Oceanheroes.blue, okay. Oceanheroes.blue, and the application is up. I think the application is also on the Lonely Well Instagram site. Awesome. And then our Ocean Heroes Instagram is Ocean Heroes HQ. And where were you guys when I was growing up? Like, <laughs> this is like right up now. <laughs> we're here for you now. We're here for you now. If you want to come and volunteer, please do. Say, volunteer? We like, could use a lot of volunteers. It's what's remarkable about the Ocean Heroes Boot Camp is we have 12 organizations working together, including the UN Environment. And and there's no there's no competition between the organizations. There's no issues. Like it's really it's incredible what happens when organizations come together for kids. And and these kids are learning how to collaborate with each other. So instead of being siloed in their own campaigns, they're they're working across geographies. We just had a few of them in Atlanta together. And you just watching them cheer each other on is you, you feel like you won something, right? Because we know that we can't solve these problems if we try to do it on our own. We have to work together. And here are these kids teaching us how to collaborate. And and I'm just I'm I'm so hopeful for their future and for our future. I think we have something really special on our hands. So we want to get as many kids to the next boot camp as we possibly can. I'm crying again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Shara's ever cried I'm, this much during a po- oh, ever during a podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, times. it's so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I'm very moved so right now. <laughs> for the boot camp, like, is every day something different or you let kind of like the kids take over? So there's definitely a part of it where the kids are teaching each other, um, but there is also a set curriculum. It's not as much talking at the kids as it is the kids engaging with each other and engaging with experts. So we have three days of curriculum. Uh, There's some basics everybody gets, like campaigning 101, how to hold a press conference. Um, I mean, like literally like on the ground activist training, which is great. Uh, not scaling any buildings or anything like that. Um, but how do you, you know, how to talk to city council, uh, how to present yourself, how to use social media to your advantage, and how do you connect influencers to what you're doing? So we have a lot of those basics, and then a lot of time for the kids to do art, a lot of time for the kids to develop their campaigns. There's a pitch session at the very end, so the kids get to pitch to Adrian. And to a number of other influencers who are going to be there as well as experts. And then we have kids from the prior boot camp coming back to teach these kids and to learn from them as well. And so they get to learn from kids who are out there running their own campaigns right now. And so there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of flexibility and a lot of, you know, just back and forth conversation. But importantly, a ton of laughter, a lot of team building. And so the kids walk away feeling like they found their tribe. They found the kids who are like them. And and then we also have a parent track, which is also really important, parents and chaperones. Because I find with my four-and-a-half-year-old, he, he is more active than I am on a daily basis, which is kind of crazy to think about, um, of trying to save the ocean. And he so he'll make me pick up trash everywhere we go. And then he'll constantly talk to people who are using straws about how straws are killing the planet. <laughs> This is my child. And so I 
I need to know how their parents are dealing with that. You know, I need to know like when should do I support him too much? Should I tone it down a little bit? Should I just let him go? Like what happens? And so we've got this parent track so that parents are really bonding with each other as well. And and they leave having built relationships and learned some tools and and really get deeper in the science of plastic as well. Well, I love what you're saying about um, the collaboration and how that's such a big part of Lonely Whale and what you guys are trying to promote because there is really, there's one goal at the end of the day and there are so many different efforts around the world and a lot of them end up being not necessarily redundant, but you have so many different people trying to achieve the same goal that a lot of the voices do get lost. And you have so many um, par- uh, partnerships that you guys are trying to um, foster. And I think that's fantastic because the more people that are working together, I think that's just the easier it is. It just becomes a lot less daunting of a task when we're all working together. And I think that's fantastic. And it's more fun, right? Is it fun? Is it more fun to go diving by yourself or to go diving with a buddy? That depends. <laughs> I know. Uh, we got our, we got our solo guy. <laughs> I guess it depends on who it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a few people I'd like to leave in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come with me so I can leave you there. <laughs> I didn't say that. It's terrible. No, <laughs> never. Absolutely not. So going a little off Megan said, um, how you guys do have other organizations that you help bring to light. How do you guys go about picking these organizations? Like, do they reach out to you? And if it's the timing is right? Yeah. Is there an, like, what's the application process like for people who are interested in working with you guys? Because I've noticed you guys did Bye Bye Plastic was one of them. So like, how did that all start, for example? You know, we, um, gosh, it's a really good question. I, I, what we look for in organizations that we end up collaborating with is first and foremost a, a growth mindset. It's it's really important to us that you know we we give our all to a collaboration, and that that's also reciprocated in a very honest way. You know, sometimes we can give more, we can give less, but we do really look for growth mindset in individuals and organizations. We look for humility in partners, humor. It, you know, if an organization is super serious and, you know, they look at this and they say, well, you know, you can't say stop sucking. They're probably not going to be the best partner for us. (laughs) (laughs) Just being really honest. It's just probably really not going to work out. So let's just call it before we get there. (laughs) Because collaboration is not easy. You want to, you want to go, if you're going to go in the trenches with somebody on any issue, you, you really want to go with somebody that knows, you know, has your back and and that will bring some levity to the conversation. And that's not, you know, it's not the case with all organizations, which is okay. So Bye Bye Plastic Bags, um, I don't actually know how we met Malati and Isabel for the very first time. Oh, no, I do. We actually met them on the beach in Bali. I was there with Adrian, and we were all launching the UN Environment's Clean Seas campaign with them. And Malati and Isabel were there. And these girls, I mean, they're they are remarkable. Just what what they decided to take on within their community, how open and and how they lean in with humility and and just how engaging they are, and and have just built this lovely relationship with them and their mom and their community. 
And so we're just thrilled that Melati is going to be able to be in Vancouver with us this year and being one of our, our experts that the kids can learn from. Yeah, we're really, I mean, I just, I actually couldn't be more tickled. She's, the, both the girls and their mom, I mean, their mom, I could put their mom in my pocket and, and walk oh. around all day because she's just one of the loveliest humans on the planet. Um, and so I think, you know, I think when you put yourself out there and you open your heart and you say, this is what we're trying to do, then the, those people that resonate with that belief, that philosophy, which we call radical collaboration, just naturally, you just naturally find each other. So I think that's been a big part of it too, is we're just, we're really out there and we're really trying hard. We, it doesn't mean we don't screw up. You know, it doesn't mean that every relationship we try to forge is perfect. It's not. And I'd be lying to you if I said it was, and we've got it all figured out right from the very beginning. But we're really, I think we're very willing to, we're very willing to own our mistakes and we're very willing to own um, our part in any relationship and to make sure that we're bringing the best that we possibly can. That's amazing. Can we come to boot camp? Yeah. I know. I'm like, I want to come to boot camp. Yes. <laughs> come to Vancouver. It sounds like you all can be volunteers. Perfect. Yes. Done. Yeah. Up. I'm in. I have I'm a in. place to stay, so, you know. All right. You're in. Woo! <laughs> We're going to Drive Vancouver. Across, get our passports, everyone. Quickly, if you don't have your passport, go fast. <laughs> so, Lonely Wells is going to Vancouver next. Is there any other trips that you guys have planned going to do conferences or yeah what's next so yeah we we just we just ended a series of conferences this fall and took a little bit of a break into the winter which has been really nice um, but we do have a number of things that we're going to be focusing on early 2019 so we have uh, the united nations environment assembly the fourth assembly is going to be happening in march in nairobi very important series of meetings and conversations happening with delegates, ministers, NGOs, individuals, companies about the state of our, all of our environmental sustainable development goals for the year 2030. Um, so that's on the list. There's the Economist World Ocean Summit in Abu Dhabi, which is also in March. Um, we're, yeah, there's a number of conferences we're already slated to speak at, like Sustainable Brands, Ethical Corp. Um, so it's, it's nice to see some good response to some of the work that we've been doing. Um, but what we're, what we're really focused on for 2019 at the beginning of the year is getting that next impact campaign finalized and getting that baby launched. We're pretty excited for it. We've got the agency already selected. We've got our creative, we've got the team, we've got the corporations that we're going to be working with. So we're very, very excited about this next campaign. And you'll see that probably rolling out in the second quarter of 2019. And that's our big push. We're really excited to hear about it. Yeah. yeah. Eyes to all your posts about it. <laughs> Stock you. <laughs> You're welcome. Stock you, promote you, call it what you will. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Obsess. Stock away. Stock <laughs> away. Show up it. unannounced in Vancouver. I mean, so. details. <laughs> We're not that crazy. <laughs> so how long did it take you to get this all, like the ball moving on this next one that you're about to launch? Was it like a year? Was it six months? We did about nine months of research. And in the last three months, yeah, and the last three months have really been about um, just fine-tuning 
fine-tuning, fundraising, making sure we've got the team set, ready to go. And we have some more research that we need to do to get things into a final, final state. But we're we're pretty close. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really important that all campaigns are data driven. You know, people put their their heart and soul into the work that they do, and and we're no different. I think the thing that we really focus in on at the very beginning, though, is some pretty strategic data collection. So we just did we did a national poll this summer to see what Americans think about plastic pollution. And, and it was really interesting, kind of our assumptions that we have and our behaviors and what causes us to switch our behaviors around and, you know, how steadfast are we going to be to certain things that we believe in and, and what we do. And that's really informed the entire direction of the campaign. So that data-driven part, taking that time to build the campaign has been really important. So it's not, we can't just flip a switch. I wish we could flip a switch and do the next campaign. Um, but it's it's exciting to see it come together. Curious. I mean, can you tell us what the data showed or no? Um, I can tell you that no, I'm what I can I mean what I can tell you is is probably something that um that won't surprise you. There's a lot I can't share with you, but what I can share with you right now is, you know, we we actually all most Americans, probably three quarters of Americans, um, use single-use plastic um, daily, <laughs> if, if not more. But what's interesting, though, is that most of us also use reusables at the same rate. And that's, that's fascinating to us. That was kind of a surprise. But what it tells us is that there's already a foundation for the behavior that we want to see. And so now what we really need to do is build on that foundation and to exploit that more. But what's what's interesting to us too is as we've dug into the behavior side of it, we've really dug into the just the sheer volume of plastic polymer production and and what that plastic polymer is going to be used for and it's it's kind of crazy making to be honest how much plastic polymer is being produced for single use plastic packaging that has no end of life. Or if it has an end of life, we're not able to get it into a collection facility in the United States, let alone anywhere else, if a collection facility actually exists. So that's been really eye-opening for us, is that we've got this massive disconnect between what we want to see happen and what's happening and what systems are in place or not in place. And that's part of what we intend to really exploit as part of this campaign is to say, okay, straws were interesting, 500 million every single day. <laughs> Wait till you get a load of this. <laughs> like, this is the big kahuna. And and we're, we're, we're asleep at the wheel. We're asleep at the wheel right now, ladies and gentlemen. Like, let's, are we okay with this? This is the normal that we need to be focusing on. And how do we switch this so that we have a new normal that helps preserve our, our biodiversity on this planet? So that's been the most interesting thing. The national poll was fascinating. It gave us a path forward. Um, but it's really been this, you know, the full scope of the research we've been doing that's really just been shocking to us. Like we're going to have to have another podcast with you when you <laughs> finally launch this so we can I know what know. it is. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to yep. start Googling like what's the number one plastic. <laughs> 
I always love it when I see an article that starts with, you know, or some some blog, something that's kind of sassy that's like, oh, Lonely Well, didn't you know it wasn't the straw? And we're like, oh, really? It's not the straw? What is it? <laughs> oh, my God. Please tell us. Tell us. <laughs> I don't, tell us. Tell everybody. Tell the whole world. Tell everyone. What is it? What's the problem then? <laughs> we're looking forward to hearing about uh, next steps with you guys and the future projects that come out of your incubator and how we can all support because God knows we're all ready to book a flight up to Vancouver right now. <laughs> and um, One click away. One click away. And uh, maybe a cocktail to Seattle. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> this is a quick layover, you know. All right. Perfect. You got both. Both. Are, both are great. Yeah. Sand. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Uh, does anybody have any... I could, we could probably talk forever about plastic pollution and, 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 okay, we're good. Okay. Um, well, in that case, we will move on to our safety stop segment. We're hitting the safety stop. stop. All right. Um, Dune, will you tell us as a diver, what safety stop means to you? Safety stop means a lot of things to me. Safety stop reminds me of my inability to actually stop and hold steady at 15 feet. I don't know why I can't do it. (laughs) I think I wiggle too much. I'm not sure what it is. Um, But it it brings me back to my, you know, that sense of humility that I don't have all the answers. And it's okay to wiggle at 15 feet. It's okay to, you know, bob around a little bit, I think. Um, But because I I just, I can't get right no matter how many times I do it. So so every time I'm I'm at my safety stop, I'm constantly reminding myself, like, it's okay. Like, don't freak out that you're the only one that's bobbing up and down. Seemingly, you're the only one. But it's also a really magical space because it gives you time to reflect on the, the amazing dive that you just had, what your experience is going to be like when you when your head pops out of the water. And then if you're lucky, like I was, to to have a creature come in to see you one last time, um, then that's a moment you can take with you for the rest of your life. So my magical moment was I was at my safety stop and um, we had been on a dive where we were, we were looking for rays. So it was a very sandy floor and and it was beautiful and the light was filtering through and there was this like, of course, like ray of sunshine going down to the ocean floor. And, and I looked down and it, there was this rock down there and I was just, you know, kind of focusing in on the rock at my safety stop. And then the rock started to move. And of course, you know what the rock was, right? It was like this gigantic sea turtle starts swimming up to me. And I was like, oh, I mean, they're so amazing. Like, oh, he's going to come and he's going to like, I, he's going to, he's going to like say, touch my nose. Like there's going to be this moment. <laughs> and so he's like swimming up. He's like, his little fins, right, to come and look at me. And it's like he was nearsighted because then he he got up close enough to me and he looked at me and he's like, holy crap. And he like turns around and then just dives back down. Like, oh, that's what that thing was up there. I'm getting as far away from that thing as I possibly can. But it was so beautiful. It was just such a magical moment. And so you never know. You never know when life is going to surprise you. And you won't know that life has surprised you if you never stop to breathe and to take that safety stop and to look around. So it means a lot of things to me. And it's, I'm always, I'm always, yeah, always thankful for the safety stop. Where was that experience at with the sea turtle? That was also off the coast of Belize. 
Oh, nice. we were all in Belize, uh, what, June? June. End of June. End of June. Yeah, we were in San, San Pedro. Was San Pedro? Yeah. yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's so beautiful. Oh. And we forgot to ask you this earlier. What is your certification level to? Oh, I'm I'm pretty basic. <laughs> uh, you are definitely not basic. You're a scuba diver, you are not basic. <laughs> I'm a basic scuba diver. I am just thankful to be doing it. My when I when I was certified, I was certified in Tobago, and I my dive master, I literally couldn't even walk off the beach and then get my head under the water with all my gear on. I pop right back up. <laughs> he was this gigantic man. He must have I don't know. He must have he was huge and and he just grabbed me by the hand and pulled me under the water and uh-huh. then, uh then i almost you know wet my pants when he showed me this you know like 100 year old uh green morale <laughs> like it's just larger than life on my first my first drift dive oh but it yeah now i'm i'm pretty basic i'm pretty basic but i love every moment that i have under the water you're definitely not basic, so get that. Maybe out of when my way. son is older <laughs> and I can start diving again. Well, come dive with us. <laughs> I'll come out with you guys. I'll come with you. I'll come with you. I'm in. Um, all right, fishbowl time. Fishbowl. fishbowl. Woo! All right, and we have the question. Okay, so out of curiosity, every diver focuses on a specific thing when they usually go underwater. Is there a specific thing you like to focus on, like photography, or you're looking for a specific animal underwater? Or just breathing and staying alive. Yeah, that too, you know. <laughs> I just want to get some thoughts on. <laughs> I'm good with breathing and staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, the- Charmaine um, is the perfect buddy. I- <laughs> well, I'm good. I'm good with breathing and staying alive because I had an experience where I had both my uh, breathing apparatus and my backup plus my my dive master's backup all failed. Wait, what? <laughs> How is that even what, possible? Yeah, what are the odds? Yeah, no, literally, which makes it feel like an eternity that you're underwater and you're not breathing. And I was like, well, I'm just going to be calm for a moment. And now I'm going to borrow his and I'm not certified. <laughs> it was one of those dives. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I survived. So everything's good from that point, right? Um so the <laughs> I just try to be calm all the time. It doesn't work all the time. <laughs> so what I do though when I dive, every single dive I'm looking for a shark. Every single one. Like I am not I I used to be completely terrified of the water. You couldn't even get like I I'm a I'm a really good swimmer. I'm a very strong swimmer because I love uh water skiing. But I, I hate not knowing what's under the water. And so ever since I have learned how to dive and I can see everything, I'm fearless. So w- within reason. But I, I'm like constantly looking for sharks because I just want to see these beautiful creatures and I've never seen one. So I'm that's my that's my bucket list for my life is to go diving with sharks and to like truly experience I think the quiet that probably exists when they come <laughs> is what I'm expecting. Just the sheer quiet and everything kind of scoots away a little bit. But I, that's what I'm always looking for. I'm looking for that shark. With us, because yeah. we see a lot of sharks. You can see sharks yeah, Ian like draws them <laughs> in. I do. Oh my God, maybe the shark is your spirit animal. Yeah. Your shark bait. Yeah, I mean. You're, it might be, or you might be shark bait. <laughs> I mean, you must give off like a smell, like 
Come here, sharks. I'm fr- I'm a friend of yours. Come here. It's all the urine that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In my dry suit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. why you're always telling us. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Whenever I take it off, I'm like, oh, I got a little damp. <laughs> it's totally a leak it's down a- in my leg. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. The only thing I see when I'm diving in California are students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't really get, you haven't seen much, oh. have you? Yeah, no. I'm like, oh, a student. <laughs> <laughs> student I'm still thing. amazed by your story, with your primary, your secondary, oh your dive master's secondary, secondary like, I will lose it. Mm. Oh, dude, no, I've been like, no, that was that was re- that was remarkable. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. This is why they say don't go diving in open water unless you're certified. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't. That's fine. I'm, I'll be fine. One dive. What what could it hurt? <laughs> but I haven't. I lost all fear of everything at that moment. I was like, well, if this is it, it's pretty beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> You're going out strong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I just think about that scenario. And I know exactly what I was, I know exactly what I would do if I was that instructor. And it's not going to be fun for both of us. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, make sure that they exhale as they go up. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh boy! Oh, so be glad you didn't have Ian during yeah. that scenario. You can tell me, did your instructor punch you? <laughs> this is the same space. I'm like, I would just clearly be crying. <laughs> <laughs> on that note of uh, physically harming <laughs> students, which we do not, do. which we totally <laughs> do once a month. Just, uh, <laughs> and if you're looking for an instructor, contact Eco Dive Center. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's where we cut this off right now. All right, dude. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much for joining us tonight. We putting up with us, yeah, more like putting up with us. Oh, God. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so great to hear about Lonely Whale. Um, for our listeners, you guys can find out more information on the foundation at lonelywhale.org. We will have some links to the programs that we talked about tonight on our website at safetystopscuba.com and on our Instagram, safetystopscuba. Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Till next time. Till next time. Chilling. Thank you, dude. Thank you, dude. Yeah, see you in Vancouver. <laughs> 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 see you in Vancouver. <laughs> see you in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs>